Welcome to New Money, I'm Brian Hirsch, and this evening we are focusing on the healthcare industry. The news this week is about the troubles with the medical scheme Health Squared. Some years ago, medical aides were forced to have 25% solvency ratio, and from press reports it appears that Health Squared solvency ratio has deteriorated from 6% to 2.15. The trouble for the 23,000 beneficiary members on the scheme is where are they going to find additional cover? However, although the Council for Medical Schemes are in talk with the country's biggest medical schemes to take on these members, it appears that many are reluctant to take on older and ailing members. And joining this evening to try and make sense of what is happening in the industry is Clayton Samsudin. He's a group CEO of Phoenix FSG. Clayton, good to have you on the show. Good evening. Thanks for having me, Brian. First question is, why has the regulator not acted sooner? I mean, we spoke some years ago, companies struggling to get their margins up to 25% solvency. And here the news, I don't know how accurate it is, I'm only telling you what I've read, mm. is that solvency margins are so low. But surely the regulators should have acted a lot sooner than they have? Yeah, well indeed, Brian, the regulator does and, and have acted sooner. Uh, what had happened is that uh, when a scheme falls below 25% solvency, uh, the scheme is required to submit a business plan to the council wherein it is stated that how they're going to get the solvency back up to 25%. So in this case, the scheme had stated in their business plan, they'll get the solvency to recover back up to 17.1% by the end of 2021. At that point, it didn't happen. So they instead performed at 6%. At that stage, I believe the council then wanted to appoint a curator to better manage the finances of the scheme. And a few months go by and we get to a point now where we see the solvency is just below 3% as you stated. So, unfortunately, uh, the board of trustees, who, and a very important point, was elected by the members of the scheme, had, had, had definitely blindsided both the members, the administrator of the scheme, as well as the Council for Medical Schemes by applying for voluntary liquidation without those parties being uh, consulted. Um, but thankfully we now see that there's many parties, including the Council and the administrator, that's appealing this, uh, this uh, court case now of the voluntary liquidation. But Clayton, it's simple. If you don't have money, then you know, you've got a real problem. If, got, if you can't pay your claims, and you're going to have a problem going forward. But let's, let's turn to the members, and let's understand, firstly, the members of Health Squared. What, what are they going to do? I mean, is there any scheme that's going to take them on, willy-nilly, the, the, whole, the whole lot? I doubt it very much. The, the demographics is significantly, I think, higher than anyone else in the industry. So, for example, the average age is 49, somewhere around there. Uh, the pension ratio is significantly high, almost 30%. Uh, they've lost about 19% of their members since 2019. So it's a really difficult situation. Uh, and I agree with everyone, you know, the council should have stepped in sooner. We should have had some life-saving scenarios sooner. But as we stand now, I don't know of a solution on the table, which means come 1 September, unless something happened in the, the few hours prior to your show, um, those members are not on cover from 1 September, which is a complete disaster. Well, let me ask you this. Are they, uh, they, there were mergers some years ago. Yeah. A lot of the smaller schemes did merge with large ones. Are there lots of smaller schemes out there with a similar, well, I'm not saying a similar solvency problem, but ailing members, retiring members, you know, 
and I mean, I don't expect you to name any of them. I'm just asking, are there, mem- are there schemes that other me- members in smaller schemes should be worrying about? So uh, I think, Brian, it's not an issue of the smaller or the size of the scheme. Size does matter when it comes to medical schemes, that's for sure. But I think there are other indicators, like when you see an exodus of members over a few years in succession. So you see members leaving the scheme. Why are they leaving? And the only members that can leave are members that can leave without having to have a waiting period or later in a penalty wherever they go. So that would be your healthy members. Um, so you have to watch that. You have to watch annual increases. You have to watch the net health care result. Those are important financial statistics to watch if you want to be sure that the scheme is actually on the right trajectory. Um, otherwise, you'll find yourself in a position like Health Squared now. But then, Clayton, so I'm, I, I now call you. I'm a member of Health Squared. Um, Health Squared. You mentioned this me- story about, you mentioned late joiner. You, you mentioned pre-existing conditions. And you mentioned, you didn't mention waiting periods. Yeah. Those are the three aspects that I- any member joining a medical mm. scheme that they need to look at. So the first thing is, why would there be a late joiner fee, which means people are paying more and it's a one-off fee. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it goes on, it's, it's added to the premium and it can, I think it can increase the premium by up to 75%. Correct. Is that correct? Correct. Now, why would there be a late joiner? They, they, they're moving from a scheme that they've been on to another scheme. So why would there be a late joiner? Okay, so in this case, we're assuming that these members have been on Health Squared for longer than two years. We know that if they move now, they'll move within a three-month period, meaning in 90 days. That would mean that they would only have a three-month general waiting period. They'd have access to prescribed minimum benefits, which would give them access to emergency care and life-threatening situations. However, they're going to have to prove that they've been on a medical aid since the age of 35 to avoid a late penalty. Now, that becomes challenging with a scheme like Health Squared, and on the topic of consolidations, because Health Squared is mainly made up of your Spectrumed and Resolution Health members. So you now have to go back in time in terms of the administrator to find all that historical data to prove uh, uh, membership from the age of 35, which could be very challenging. And then what about uh, waiting periods and what about pre-existing conditions? So normally you'd have a three-month waiting yeah. and then a 12-month pre-existing. Now, a lot of these members have already got ailments yeah. and they've been co- they have been covered and depending on the type of plan they would have had. If, an, if, if you had to now place a member, and mm. thir- I'll, I'll ask you that secondly, mm. whether you can, but would they, would they have a, um, a waiting period and pre-existing condition? So again, we, it, it's subject to age, right? So if they're within a, say, a certain age bracket, we could move them to a particular scheme where they will not have all of these waiting periods later in the penalties we just spoke about. The other scenario would be that on the topic of waiting periods, the only waiting period that would apply in this case is a three-month general waiting period, not 12 months condition specific, they would have access to prescribed minimum benefits. So if a new member had joined, and let's say they were 65 and was never on a medical scheme, um, they would not have access to PMB within the first three months. So that is a, a kind of maybe not a life-saving situation, but it is a benefit they would have had that they have which other members would not if they're joining for the first time. Clayton, you mentioned P- PMBs, prescribed minimum benefits. Mm. And I, 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 you know, 
I'm, I'm not sure everyone understands what that means. It doesn't mean that whatever ailment you've got is covered under that section, does it? Or exactly what does it mean? So, uh, in simple terms, so prescribed minimum benefits is, is separated into two sections. The one is the typical 27, 28 chronic conditions that we know of. That must be provided by the medical scheme for 12 months through a designated service provider if the scheme so wishes. The other is the 271 treatment pairs. Now that's a lot of uh, procedures and ailments that members could have access to. In another way to term it, put it differently, is during that three months you'd have access to emergency care, emergency transportation, life-threatening situations, a possible loss of a limb, so they would have cover for those ailments. The important thing to do is to understand exactly what you have during those three months in your waiting period. Clayton, let's just talk about these, the situation with members joining a medical scheme. Mm. The, the medical scheme can't um, turn them away. Could it? They've just got to provide you know, either proof or not, as you said, late mm. joiner. But let's understand, give you an example. I was talking to a dentist today, and he, he explained to me that his turnovers dropped, and he made the statement that uh, anything up to 40% of his patients have downgraded from a comprehensive plan to a hospital plan, which means that there isn't the dentistry cover. Correct. You, you, uh, in previous shows, you and I have chatted, and you said it wasn't that severe, the drop from a, a, a comprehensive to a hospital plan. Has that statistic changed in your business? Yeah, um, Brian, I, I think it has. Uh, you know, uh, a lot of people are buying down, not only on their healthcare cover, but on their personal insurance side, on their life covers. I think consumers are just really, you know, hit hard, particularly with the latest inflation rates and, and fuel and, and all other commodities that's going up. And so, I'm mean, increasingly, we get in calls from people wanting to reevaluate the entire portfolio, not just healthcare. So I think healthcare is one component and people are, are starting to think, you know what, let me self-insure my day-to-day -day benefits, which may not be an ideal solution, uh, but I think we're in a situation now where consumers are really cash-strapped and there is very little choices available right now. Because when you talk about healthcare, it's not just the medical aid, it's disability cover, and it, there's a different, different, di very different between income to capital, yeah. difference to between own occupation, any or similar mm. occupations, yeah. and then you've also got the situation of of your dread of the dreaded disease cover, which will cover give you a lump sum or a percentage of a lump sum depending on the severity of the illness. Mm. So when you talk about having a relook at everything, I suppose within your healthcare program you have to evaluate all those requirements. Absolutely. So. Um, you know, so uh, exactly as you've mentioned, which I don't want to elaborate on too much, but what we're starting to see as an example is employer groups are, are purchasing income replacement benefits and not lump sum disability benefits in a group life arrangement. Why? Because it's reducing the cost that in that way. But then it's left up to the employer again to purchase the severe illness and the disability benefit in lump sums because it's not provided for in group life. So you've got to have a look at all of this holistically um, and similarly with gap cover, so you know people are actually asking, is there not more and a more affordable gap cover, even if it's 130 rand less, you know? But that 130 rand plus that 250 plus that 500 all adds up eventually. But but do, do you think all these components should now be consolidated in a healthcare plan? No, I think they've got uh, they fall under different uh, acts of insurance. 
uh, and they've got different um, aspects to them. But I do believe that your, your portfolio must be evaluated holistically. So you've got to understand, are you overinsured in one area and underinsured in another? And you've got to optimize that spend. So we would typically find people would look at retirement fund funding later in life rather than sooner, but that would just land them up in a deficit in retirement. So the better thing to do is to, to optimize your insurance covers. Well, well we're going to take a short break. We're going to get to your emails in the next seg segment. Stay tuned. We'll be back shortly.